Welcome to this special edition of the A-Level Politics Show. I'm your host, Nick D'Souza, and today we are recording live just a few hours after Boris Johnson has been found to have acted unlawfully when proroguing Parliament. And in fact, that prorogation has been deemed null and void by the UK Supreme Court. In this show, we will be talking about the UK Supreme Court and judges more generally in the UK. Is the judiciary an imperial judiciary? Is it too powerful? Is it right that 11 unelected judges have essentially ruled against a UK Prime Minister? Or are they simply doing their job? We will discuss this and more after the break, so don't go away. To get a sense of whether the judiciary in the UK is too powerful, we are going to be looking at the power that they have, particularly judicial review. Um, And we're going to counteract that with the role that Parliament can play in overcoming those uh, rulings that courts make. We will be looking specifically at the creation of the UK Supreme Court uh, through the Constitutional Reform Act 2005 and its uh, inaugural uh, uh, opening in 2009. Um, We are going to be looking at how politicians sometimes undermine the independence of the judiciary. We will look at how they protect rights uh, of the people and sometimes stand up against politicians and authorities, but encounter the wrath often um, of conservatives who feel that the judiciary is going beyond its remit. I'll also be talking about the limits uh, that are placed on the court. Uh, So there's plenty to be uh, looking at. Um, I'm going to give you my view right from the start. It's very important in an essay that you do this, so I'm going to model this. I do not believe that the UK judiciary and the UK Supreme Court uh, are too powerful, um, and that is because of parliamentary sovereignty, and that that principle is what the Supreme Court upheld today, that Parliament is more important and has greater legitimacy than the executive and that you must look to Parliament rather than the executive when ruling on issues like who can shut Parliament down. Stay with us because after the break we are going to be looking at judicial review. There are those who wrongly argue, in my view, that the power of judicial review gives judges the power to influence public policy, too much power to influence public policy. Now, judges can use the power of judicial review. And firstly, I should say what that is. It's uh, where it can strike down actions of government and other bodies uh, by declaring those actions ultra vires or acting beyond powers given to those bodies um, or to the government in law. And it can use that judicial review uh, to make all kinds of controversial rulings. In 2013, for example, the Court of Appeal ruled that the Health Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, did not have the power to implement the cuts that he wanted to at Lewisham Hospital in South East London. Courts have used judicial review against governments on sentencing and on deportation policy. 
A judicial review, for example, prevented the former Home Secretary, Michael Howard, from extending the sentences um, that were given to the Jamie Bolger killers in 1996. Now, Mr Howard's attempt to raise the minimum time the killers spent in custody was overruled by the House of Lords, the, the, the then law lords, um, and later criticised um, by the European Court of Human Rights, a ruling that the radical Islamist cleric Abu Qatada shouldn't be deported to Jordan to face trial on terrorism charges caused outrage. And all of these examples are, were, were controversial and um, seem to show a judiciary that would step into the political realm. Isn't it the remit of politicians to make decisions on funding for hospitals, as in the case of Jeremy Hunt. Isn't it the uh, remit of the Home Secretary to keep the country safe and ensure that uh, these radical uh, potential terrorists are deported? Um, but the fact is, is that the European Court of Human Rights said that some of the evidence used against Abu Ghattada uh, might have come from torture. Um, and so the courts would argue that they were simply uh, applying um, the standards laid down in law. Uh, but the increase in judicial review makes governing more difficult. And that's why there are those who say um, that the Supreme Court is too powerful, because it should not be the case that an unelected judiciary makes an elected uh, body um, have to go through more hoops. Ministers are often accused of operating ultra virus beyond their powers by the courts. The fast track system, which detains asylum seekers while they appeal against decisions, has been suspended by the Court of Appeal. Um, and this fast track system acceler accelerated legal hearings and appeals while keeping the individual detained at all times. In a case involving the detention without trial of nine um, foreigners at um, Belmarsh Prison, the judges found that the detention of foreign terror suspects without trial was incompatible with European and therefore domestic law being both disproportionate in that less restrictive measures were available and discriminatory since UK nationals suspected of terrorism were not liable to indefinite detention. Again, this example uh, demonstrates that the court is 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 entering into the political thicket. It is taking decisions that um, may well um, affect uh, the decisions that politicians were elected to take. In 2015, Prince Charles's Black Spider memos revealed lobbying uh, by the prince uh, of the Tony Blair government on mainly environmental issues. Now, the Supreme Court ruled that the Guardian newspaper's request to publish these black spider memos uh, should be allowed following the newspaper's freedom of information request. Now, the outcome of the black spider memos represented a fundamental challenge to the use of the ministerial veto to block release of material which the government feels is needed 
to be uh, kept secret. Uh, ministers had used this veto in several other cases, including request requests for legal advice on the Iraq war, cabinet minutes on devolution policy, um, an NHS risk register and a review of the proposed HS2 railway. Now, the expenses scandal of 2009 was revealed by the Daily Telegraph after the Commons authorities resisted attempts to reveal details. Commons authorities were ordered uh, to publish uh, the details by the High Court under the Freedom of Information Act. All of this demonstrates that ministers, that government seem to be really constrained by courts. But I would argue that these are things that we actually want our courts to do and therefore they are not uh, more powerful. Do we want a secretive government? Surely we want a government to be compelled to publish as much as possible. Um, surely we want uh, details of dodgy expenses to be published and that's what the courts made the government uh, do. Um, we want to know our uh, royal family's relationship with government. How far do they interfere uh, in politics? And the Black Spider memos revealed that Prince Charles actually interferes in politics quite a lot. We wouldn't have known that had courts not stood up for our interests. Does that make them too powerful or does that make them guardians of transparency against an all powerful government? However, I still do not think that the court has too much power vis-a-vis -vis the government because the government can simply through its domination of parliament pass new laws through parliament to give themselves the power that courts had denied them let's take that abu Ghattada case study for example after eight years of legal battles he was eventually deported in 2013 which shows that the politicians often get their way the government has since altered the Freedom of Information Act to exempt royal correspondence, so no more black spider memos. Even when amending legislation, as directed by a judicial review, the government still has the scope to significantly limit civil liberties. For example, the details of control orders in 2005, that's house arrest of suspected terrorists, um, those were changed after judicial review, but they still significantly limited the civil liberties of the people subjected to them. So therefore, the government uh, listened to what the courts were saying, changed the law to allow um, what they wanted to do all along and thus superseding the initial ruling of the courts. This example shows the limits of court power. An executive that dominates parliament can decide the extent and scope of its own power. When we come back, we will be talking about the impact of the creation of the UK Supreme Court. The creation of the Supreme Court has made conflict more likely and strengthens the independence and the autonomy of the Supreme Court vis-a-vis -vis the executive. The creation of that court in October 2009, together with the other reforms, marked the end of a long process towards establishing the separation of powers and the independence of the judiciary. 
In 2006, following the Constitutional Reform Act 2005, the introduction of the Judicial Appointments Commission, the JAC, limited the role of the Lord Chancellor in appointing judges. The Lord Chief Justice was also made the head of the judiciary. Now, what that served to do was to distance the influence of politicians um, from um, the appointments process. So politicians could no longer have an impact, could no longer shape the judiciary, uh, perhaps uh, in a way that they could before. The creation of the new court resulted, therefore, in a growth of independence that led to greater judicial activism. Um, for example, in 2017, in January 2017, the Supreme Court ruled that Parliament must have a vote on whether the government can start the Brexit process. The judgment meant that Theresa May could not begin talks with the EU, so-called triggering Article 50 process, until MPs and peers gave her their backing. Now, Cabinet Minister Sajid Javid argued that court decisions on Brexit represented, and I quote, a clear attempt to frustrate the will of the British people, unquote, highlighting that as the Supreme Court status had grown, collisions with the government uh, would become more frequent and indeed collisions uh, with uh, those who voted to leave in the referendum because what the Supreme Court was doing was ultimately going to slow the whole process down. Doesn't that therefore suggest that, Supre that Supreme, the Supreme Court has become more powerful? However, I believe this is a weak argument. Politicians often undermine the independence of the judiciary and therefore its power. You can't say it's too powerful if it's being undermined. The Blair government, for example, led by Home Secretary David Blunkett, introduced the Criminal Justice Bill in 2003. It gave Parliament the right to set minimum terms for murder and brought in a sentencing guide for judges. The Lord Chief Justice at the time attacked Blunkett's changes arguing that judges were being given no room for manoeuvre. Judges should be allowed to make the just decision, he said, in the light of the particular circumstances of the cases, having heard arguments from both sides. But laws passed by politicians, in this case the Criminal Justice Bill, limited what they could actually do. The English riots of 2011 saw government pressure for harsher sentencing for rioters, Ministry of Justice figures show that a total of 1,292 offenders were jailed for their part in the trouble. Now, the average custodial sentence was around 16.8 months, more than four times the average term handed down by magistrates' uh, courts for similar offences. This demonstrates that political pressure can potentially affect judicial decisions. That shows a judiciary that is not too powerful, that is limited by politicians. And the Supreme Court hasn't really gained any new powers since its creation. It, uh, has, it doesn't have, for example, a codified constitution that it can hold up like the US Supreme Court um, can and say, actually... Parliament can't do that. So the Supreme Court can't tell Parliament it can't do something. Whereas in the United States, the US Supreme Court can look at the US Constitution and tell Congress, actually, you can't do that. So 
the Supreme Court is not that much more powerful. It does have these incompatibility statements that it can issue. And those are statements where it says we think this law is in breach of the Human Rights Act. But the government and parliament is under no obligation to actually follow those statements. Judges do, however, have a real role to play in upholding the rights of the people against politicians and authorities. Now, that may well be a good thing, but it also demonstrates their power and it could also show that they are becoming increasingly political. After the break, we are going to be discussing that. Judges are supposed to protect rights of the people against politicians and authorities, and that demonstrates their power. They guarantee the rule of law, in effect ensuring equal treatment under the law, ensuring fair trials and enforcing law against the government itself. In January 2016, the Court of Appeal ruled that the so-called bedroom tax discriminated against a domestic violence victim and the family of a disabled teenager. It also rules on common law, rules that are not written down in statute law, but instead established by court rulings and historical precedent. And those things, those common laws are enforced by judges up and down the country. The Human Rights Act uh, became operative from October 2000. Judges are now able to apply human rights law in their rulings. The Human Rights Act makes it unlawful for any public body to act in a way that is incompatible with the Convention on Hum European Convention on Human Rights unless the wording of an Act of Parliament means that they have no other choice. The Gillen and Quinton 2010 case at the European Court of Human Rights found police use of terror laws to stop and search without grounds for suspicion to be unlawful and this resulted in new guidelines uh, on police powers of stop and search. The European, the European Court of Justice is the highest court of the European Union and is based in Luxembourg. The judgments of the ECJ are binding on all member states, including the UK, until the UK leaves the EU. Uh, and if it leaves in a hard Brexit fashion, uh, then the ECJ really won't have any jur jurisdiction. Now, the European Court of Justice ruled that the Data Retention and Investigatory Powers Act um, branded the Snoopers Charter by critics, uh, which requires communications companies to retain data for 12 months was actually against EU law, and they ruled that in December 2016. The ECJ ruled that a general, and I quote, a general and indiscriminate retention, unquote, of data is against EU law and can only be done under certain conditions, and I quote, solely for the purpose of fighting serious crime, unquote. Now, this example and others that I've just mentioned shows the influence that foreign courts and domestic courts can have on public policy by calling into question the legality of a law passed by the UK Parliament. In the, um, in the uh, Investigatory, Investigatory Powers Act uh, example, we are seeing courts, European courts, uh, going against uh, what a UK government has said is needed in order to tackle terrorism. Um, when we uh, look uh, at 
the Gillen and Quinton case on stop and search, um, it's fundamentally altering the way policing is carried out. These have huge public policy effects. Is it right that unelected judges, whether that is uh, at European level or um, in do at domestic level, whether they have those powers or shouldn't they be left to elected politicians? I would argue that this is completely overblown. Judges have not always been able to stop politicians eroding the rights of people and that indicates the limits of their power. The rule of law is vulnerable to parliamentary erosion. The Justice and Security Act 2013 allowed closed material proceedings or secret courts into the justice system if a citizen takes the British government or its officials to court in cases of torture, rendition or a whole host of other reasons, the government is able to present evidence to the judge which the claimant, defendant, media and public will never be privy to. It will allow or it does allow the government to resist due scrutiny for its role in torture, rendition and other crimes. So all of this murky world of counter-terrorism appears to be going under the radar and courts uh, in the, the traditional sense don't appear to be able to stop the government prosecuting uh, its uh, war on terrorism even if human rights violations are committed. In April 2012 the Legal Aid Sentencing and Punishment of Offenders Act so-called LASPO came into force now, the bill significantly limits the number of cases eligible for legal aid, in effect cases where the government pays the legal fees uh, of a defendant because they can't afford um, uh, it, it themselves. Now LASPO has seen a whole categories of law taken out of the scope of, of funding. Family law is one such category. So legal aid is now only available uh, with evidence of domestic violence, forced marriage or abduction. Um, and what this does is, is it makes it very difficult uh, for good cases to be um, brought against the government, uh, for there to be a decent defence uh, against the government. And that means the government can often get its way. That shows, I think, an overly powerful government, not an overly powerful judiciary or legal system holding that government to account. Antisocial behaviour orders, so-called ASBOs, introduced in 1999 and they imposed a range of restrictions on usually young offenders, often on the basis of hearsay evidence and in the absence of a jury. Incompatibility statements are not binding on Parliament. Here what I'm doing is just listing all the ways that governments doing these things and courts aren't able uh, to restrict them. Strictly speaking, Parliamentary sovereignty is preserved by the Human Rights Act because the courts cannot automatically strike down legislation they see as conflicting with the HRA. As I said earlier, these incompatibility statements are just advisory. They can merely announce a declaration of incompatibility between the law and the Human Rights Act. The government can then, through Parliament, announce a derogation or an opt-out from the Human Rights Act as the last Labour government did when passing the Prevention of Terrorism Acts in 2005. So those are all examples of where we have an overly powerful government um, restricting liberties, prosecuting um, wars on terror 
Um, and the courts are not as powerful as we think in those areas, as I've uh, just mentioned. We are now going to be talking about the conservative belief that the judiciary has become too powerful, and I'm going to dismiss it with some additional limits that are placed on UK courts. Now, conservatives believe that the judiciary has become imperial, that is to say, too powerful, and they point to a number of things uh, to make their case. The Human Rights Act has bestowed great powers on the judiciary, they say, making it too interfering, too powerful for an unelected body. This act allows UK judges to hear cases from UK citizens who feel their rights under the European Convention of Human Rights have been undermined. In July 2004, a panel of adjudicators uh, ruled that returning the nine men who fled the Taliban regime by hijacking a Boeing 727 plane back to Afghanistan would breach their human rights as they risked being attacked by members of the Taliban. The then Home Secretary David Blunkett uh, called the decision, I quote, mind-boggling. The, uh, the use and effectiveness of judicial review, the power to declare government actions as ultra-virus or acting beyond the law, has grown. It is making the legal system too expensive, Conservatives say. The use of judicial review has indeed increased more than threefold in recent years, from around about 4,240 cases in 2000 to around about 15,600 in 2013. Courts have interfered with the government's ability to keep citizens safe. The Conservatives point to the Khan case in 2010, um, which made it more difficult to deport immigrants even if they had committed offences. They also say that the Human Rights Act, which gives the, the court greater authority, um, prevents people from being sent back to places where they would be subjected to torture or inhumane, inhumane or degrading treatment or punishment. Now, again, I'm going to step in and say I want my courts to do that. I want my courts to defend human rights. I want my courts to say, actually, it's not right for a government to be able to send someone uh, to be tortured uh, or where they know that someone might be tortured even if they might be dangerous um, that doesn't suggest that courts are too powerful what it suggests is that the policy makers have got it wrong but my main argument is that the courts are too weak to be able to effectively protect rights and therefore the charge that they are imperial is overblown Parliamentary sovereignty means that the government can overrule the judiciary if the government dominates parliament. Equally, politicians can simply ignore court rulings. Courts have no enforcement power. In February 2015, the European Court of Human Rights ruled that the rights of UK prisoners uh, were breached when they were prevented from voting in elections. The court has called for a change in the law but this has not happened. Both the previous Labour government and uh, the subsequent Conservative administrations just simply did not legislate, although various proposals have been debated in an attempt to end the long-running row with the Strasbourg-based court. We still do not have votes for prisoners. Therefore, that shows, whether you agree with right votes for prisoners or not, what it shows is courts are not overly powerful because... 
their rulings can simply be ignored. A powerful executive with a majority in Parliament is the ultimate decision maker for the range and scope of rights and civil liberties that are laid out for the general public. Courts must also wait for a case to be brought before it. They have no power of initiation. The reason why the Supreme Court uh, could uh, declare that uh, the government had acted unlawfully by proroguing Parliament is because court cases were brought to it uh, by Gina Miller uh, and by former Prime Minister John Major and so on. As an appeal court, the UK Supreme Court cannot consider a case unless a relevant order has been made in a lower court. The Supreme Court has to wait until decisions have been made elsewhere. So before we had uh, the court case involving prorogation uh, today, uh, we those those uh, issues were looked at by a Scottish court, were looked at um, by the High Court in uh, London, I think. So courts can not simply just sort of get involved um, in any way, shape or form. They have to follow the, the due process of law. Judicial review is the process by which ordinary people and organisations can apply to the courts to challenge the lawfulness of decisions made by public bodies, including government. It is therefore only reactive to government actions. What I'm trying to say is, is that the... The courts have no preemptive power. They make decisions based on something the government has done and then that has led to someone not liking what the government has done, believing the government has acted beyond its power and then um, initiating litigation. That doesn't mean the courts are too powerful because the courts are simply reacting to... Uh, um, they've been simply asked to make a decision that people have asked them to make. After the break, we're going to round up uh, by concluding that the UK courts um, and European courts affecting UK law are not, in fact, too powerful. Therefore, it is my strongly held view that the judiciary, the UK courts, European Court of Human Rights, the European Court of Justice, the UK Supreme Court, that taken as a whole are simply not too powerful. They do what they do because they are asked to do it. They have no power of initiation. And if you look at the court cases, the two court cases that have been most controversial, both involving Brexit, the one today involving prorogation, the other a few years ago involving who could trigger Article 50, what they've simply done in those cases is declare that it is Parliament that must make the decisions on these issues, not the government on its own. That does not suggest that the Supreme Court is stepping beyond its remit. Its remit is to defend Parliament. Its remit is to uh, follow the law that Parliament lays down. And that is all that it has been doing in those cases. Therefore, my argument is, where is power? It is If it is not with the Supreme Court, it has to be somewhere else. And all the Supreme Court has ruled is that power does not rest solely with the Prime Minister. It rests with the representatives of the people in Parliament. Thus, the Supreme Court has limited its own power by declaring that another branch of government, in this case Parliament, 
is powerful. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Do let us know what you think. Um, and you can do that by a number of means. You can leave a very favourable review on Apple Podcasts or you could uh, tweet me uh, at Nick D'Souza and let me know what you think. Um, but we would be delighted to hear from you. Until next time, goodbye.